Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Sam Scott. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. All right. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, my name's Sam. I'm the co-founder and CTO of a early stage startup called Oso. Um, as, a, as a company, our whole mission is around making security more accessible for developers. And we're currently doing that through building an open source authorization system. My, my background before I was doing this, um, you know, I've been programming for 12, 13 years at this point. Um, I think I got started in the same way that, that sort of many people do, which is I had a very manual task that I wanted to automate and found programming as a way to, to get rid of that. And, um, you know, over the years have become a very big fan of Rust and kind of picked that up five or six years ago. Um, I used that a big part of that. I used, uh, I did a PhD in cryptography where I used Rust a bunch as well. And through some very twisted path that ended me up to, uh, left me where I am now. Awesome. So if I get this straight, this long road where you've worked, you know, really hard and done a lot of stuff, this all started from you trying to be lazy. Is that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It's, um, it's, it's one of those core, um, what are they, what do they call them? I don't know. Laziness is the mother of invention. Something like one, that. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. So, okay, you now have founded a company. I think I saw you raised your Series A, which is cool. Uh, congratulations. I think like Sequoia, some big names behind that. That's really exciting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, thanks. Yeah, so we just raised uh, 8.2 million Series A, where Sequoia was the main lead. Um, we had a bunch of other folks, including some some pretty other, some other great founders, entrepreneurs, and, and just other advisors. That's cool. Did you know for a long time that that's like, is this your first time starting a company? Did you always, you know, have more of that entrepreneurial, like software engineering spirit? Or this is this more of a recent um, thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of both. It's, it's, a, it's a great question. Uh, so my dad was very entrepreneurial and he did his own sort of series of companies and things like that. So I, th I think he definitely instilled that in me from an early age. And, but the, the kind of the, the software engineering piece of it, uh, you know, I was, I was doing, I was doing a PhD, I was doing research, I was doing very far from practical stuff, but even from the, from way back at the beginning when I was doing just like pure mathematics my drive was like doing more things applied mm -hmm. so it went from like maths to cryptography to apply cryptography to like analysis of things like you know tls which is like how we secure the internet to um you know finally making this leap into into starting a startup and i think the whole way along you know the whole way along that path um i think i just i just enjoy trying to solve problems mm -hmm. And originally I figured I was going to do that by applying all this amazing research I was mm -hmm. doing. And, and then I kind of had this harsh realization that research is kind of a thing for 10 years time problems, mm -hmm. not for today's yeah, problems. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like the, the people today aren't really grappling with, with those problems yet. No, yeah, they are not. Yeah, I think that that requires like a, a different personality than I have, or maybe it's like a lot of patience or foresight or something. I don't, I don't quite have that. Sounds like, sounds like you, uh, you certainly have a lot more of that than, than I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, there's actually some odd parallels between PhD research and founding a company, hmm. which you would probably like not, not believe, but it's, 
it's about open-ended problems and ambiguity. Mm. And we'll probably talk about that a bunch today, but uh, often as a, as a PhD student, you are sort of given a pile of papers by an advisor and told to, to go read and come up with something. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes starting a company feels like that. So you just kind of point yourselves in a direction. You, you know, ideally have some kind of like mission or drive behind what you're doing and, and you go and try and work out what the best thing to solve Interesting. is. So, okay. So those two share something in common and are kind of on one end of the spectrum. Like what would, what would be on the opposite end? What's, what's not like that? Yeah. So the, the thing which I least liked about academia and why I was keen to get out is it's, it's, it's very, very isolated. Mm. It's actually pretty lonely. Um, you know, you have a small amount of contact with your advisor. There's, I mean, depending on the, on the field or the area you're in, there's, you know, varying degrees of uh, like collaboration with your, with your colleagues and with your peers. Um, whereas I think like working at a company, working at a startup in particular is, you know, entirely a team effort. Mm-hmm. There is like, there shouldn't really be space for like just one individual to go off and do their thing. It's like, you know, you get there as a, as a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you... Which is what I was looking for. You know, I, I wanted that <laughs> to work with, with people, not by myself. That's all. So do you feel like a larger company allow is more similar to like, like that specialization? Like, can you be more off on your own at a larger company, but it's not like, like kind of in contrast to a startup or, or is there some other thing that's like, or. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I, I mean, I don't think, I think to be effective at any company of any size, collaboration, cooperation is always going to be a huge piece mm-hmm. of it. Um, but, but you're, you're right. There's definitely more room for like specialization inside a larger organization. Um, I mean, equally, equally, you know, collaboration is a huge part of academia as well. Like, you know, you, you know, I did my, a lot of my research papers were with other amazing collaborators. Some of them just happened to be, you know, other side of the world and we communicated mostly through emails, but it's definitely a huge part, but it, it's not the same as the like day-to-day work at a company where you are just like constantly in contact with people and, and you know, stuff only happens if you can, mm-hmm. um, you know, get everyone you know, pushing in the same direction. It's interesting when you mentioned the, the collaboration with people all over the world, it made me think uh, of the open source model are there any parallels there to contributing to open source and what it's like in academia yeah that's an interesting one so open source is structurally so very different and and of course there's you know small to very very large open source projects as well so uh on on a small open source project you can you know also pop up you know, maybe comment on an issue. Hey, can I you know help out with this? Submit a pull request, have it merged, and, and go off on your way. And you've made your sort of small contribution. Um, the other person that rendered that might be incredibly grateful and and like love that their contribution came in. And that's the last you ever talk to each other. Uh, you might have you know huge open source projects um, where you have an entire committee. You have like a whole process around making changes, like. You know, at that scale, it probably does feel more like a large company where, you know, stuff gets done by submitting a proposal and having discussions around it and having committee meetings and then then changes get implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I mean, part part of the reason why I ask is I know that at your company also you you have a pretty big open source component, right? Yeah, that's right. So the so the main product that we're working on at the moment, um, as I said, also the uh, open source authorization system is is entirely open source and that's primarily what we're focusing on at the company is is growing that community 
and yeah, I guess this is an uh, it's it's another angle on that you know collaboration and communication side of things, which is for me like one of the most fun parts about about this is you know we're putting something out there into the world. Um, we're getting people coming join the community, telling us like how they're using it, and you know maybe even telling us what things aren't quite working right, and we get to talk with them and help try and solve their issue and um, and all these like little pieces of feedback and sometimes contributions and sometimes people using it, these, these all kind of like add up and this is what makes it so much fun. It's like, you know, that, that experience of building something and having someone using it, hopefully telling you that they like it. Uh, <laughs> but if not, you <laughs> yeah. know what to fix, right? It sounds like that feedback and iteration is really, really important to you. Well, yeah, exactly. If it's, if it's not, at least they, you know, at least they took the, took the time to come and tell mm-hmm. you. Like, I, I cannot say how valuable that is. Like, my, my biggest fear is that, like, something doesn't work and we just don't know because people give up. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, oh, this is, I don't want to use this. It doesn't do this thing. And, and that's the last we hear mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, it's kind of related to something that I tell junior developers, right? So one of the things that is that's really important, kind of related to that feedback and iteration approach is, is to not really work in silence, don't work in a vacuum. And so... Uh, one of the ways to get out there and to interact with other people is to either, you know, contribute to open source, blog posts, things like that, or something near and dear to my heart that uh, you've done recently, you gave a JSLA talk, is to give a talk at a meetup. And one of the, the responses, of course, if, if someone is more junior, is like, oh, well, I don't have anything to talk about. Like, I don't, I haven't done anything that is, you know, novel or noteworthy or remarkable. But the reason why I bring this up is I think oftentimes a lot of people's experiences is really valuable, right? Like if someone someone gave a talk about how they tried to use something in their struggles, that is an interesting talk. And it's also giving that feedback, you know, in a, in a very particular way to whoever wrote that tool or library or, or anything like that. And um, I think that's a, that's a style of talk that, I think is very approachable to junior developers and is valuable to other people like the you know people who work on that library or that package or that tool because they will often have a little bit of that curse of knowledge where they don't know what it's like to be a junior dev using their tool. It's a very hard thing to to get into the the headspace of. Don't you think? Yeah, oh, I I agree 100% with that. One of the things that we did like at the very beginning of, of, of Oso to simulate that, to create that situation was like asked friends of ours, can you please, can you just sit down, mm-hmm. go through our quick start guides, and then we'd like pepper them with questions at the mm-hmm. end. Like, so what do you think Oso is? And I'm like, um, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, <laughs> uh, we probably need to work on that. Um, but yeah, because it's, you know, you what is what's that saying? It's like you only get like one first, oh, one first experience yeah, or something like with things. One, one shot at a first impression or something like that. Yeah, one shot at first impression, and and like we, you know, we're on like impression number like ten thousand by now. <laughs> we see it every single day, so it's so it's so incredibly hard for us to know like what stuff is confusing, like what stuff does or doesn't make sense. Like when you're when you're getting started, like just being able to see that through through someone's eyes would be amazing. Oh. Like I'd love it if someone gave a, a talk on Oso and. <laughs> Here's the hundred things I struggled yeah, with. Yeah, maybe because that would be the next hundred roadmap fighters. Yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> soon. It kind of reminds me of the, there's this book that I absolutely love. I don't know if you've heard of it called The Mom Test. 
Uh, the sub yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so the subtitle is how to talk to your customers and learn if your business is a good idea when everyone is lying to you um and it's like <laughs> such a good you know it's such a good subtitle um because i think that's much more informative and um the truth is like if you create something and depending on how you ask someone about it you know they, they probably won't tell you what you want to know right so if you make an open source library or something like that which is something that i encourage pretty much all developers to do if they haven't already you're going to be tempted to do something similar to a startup founder you're going to want to get feedback right so you're going to go to someone kind of like what you're what you were just talking about being like hey i created this thing like what do you think now, what's likely to happen if this person likes you or kind of get this, gets the sense that you are like your ego's on the line and, and what you're really asking is like, hey, do you think I'm a good dev? They might give you an answer that's not particularly useful. They might just say like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Keep it up. Not like, well, you know, I wouldn't actually be able to use this unless you, you know, made these changes. And I think that would be really helpful for other people. I think they'll probably not say that because they might be worried about, you know, hurting your feelings or discouraging you or or something like that. It's really interesting that you are combining both like the entrepreneurialness with the the open source thing because I do think that there are a lot of overlaps of of like how you create a product or how you create a service that helps people and and how you get that out and convince them to give you the time and attention and use it even if they're not necessarily paying money for it depending on you know how it works but just you know there's there's other costs that you need to convince people to you know mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm. yeah people's time is people's time is super valuable um that's one of the things they that they kind of teach you in in startup world early on is like when you you, you go into a meeting with a you know, potential customer or user you want to you know you want to get one of three things from them time money or uh like new people to mm -hmm. meet mm -hmm. and i think most people just assume that it's a money thing right it's like oh, i'm trying to go and sell and sell them or something yeah. but like especially early on like if someone's willing to sit down and spend time with you and give you feedback that is like worth so much more than <laughs> some amount of money <laughs> yeah um i have to say the speaking of the the mum test there's there's one line which very similar to the one you just said which um is is really good fun to look out for because We've definitely heard it a lot, which is awesome. We're like, oh, this is this looks so good. I could so imagine how useful this would be. I don't think we're your target users. Like, we're we're very mm. unique, but I, you know, you hear that like <laughs> so often. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah, I'm sure every single person I speak to is so unique that uh, <laughs> that's a good sign you're on the wrong path. Yeah. Uh, so so it, with respect to Oso, something that that's interesting is that you're you're going after the authorization piece. What made you want to just handle that? Is it because there are other services that just handle the authentication? Or what went into deciding that this is what you wanted to focus on? Yeah, so it wasn't originally the focus. As like when, when we first started out, uh, my co-founder Graham and I, we, we sort of clicked on just the general pattern that we'd seen, which is um, Security was something that developers often struggled with, that like a lot of the knowledge and information about it was either locked up in academia or in like infosec land. And as a developer, it'd be very hard just to do things that should be relatively simple, and encrypt a piece of data, store a password securely, um, things like that, do, doing those well, because like the tooling was so bad. And so that was kind of like where we started out. We originally were working on something that was more of like a kind of infrastructure focused problem, doing things like encryption, authentication, authorization, stuff like that. 
And we went out and spoke to like hundreds and hundreds of companies to kind of get feedback on it. And yeah, I mean, the, you know, reception was, yeah, this sounds great, you know, <laughs> as we spoke about mm-hmm. just now. But actually, you know, the thing that we're really struggling with is just like, you know, how we build the authorization piece in our application, because like, we don't have anything that can do that. And, you know, we'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we really just focus on the infrastructure piece. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a few times they're like, wait a minute, (laughs) why are we fighting? (laughs) Why are we telling people we don't do the thing that they want, they they want solved? Oh, my God. Um, I just like hearing the number of times that I've said something like that. Like, (laughs) I don't know why it's so funny. So so that's how we got into this area. but but you're right there. It doesn't really exist anything out there that, that solves for this problem in, in application. Um, turns out it's a pretty hard problem to solve generically. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think it was why there hasn't been too many things existing before. Mm-hmm. Um, like lots of app, like it's something which is very interwoven in into applications. So you know it's very deeply tied with you know, the core business logic of your application. You know if you're mm-hmm. building, you know GitHub, it's all about access to repositories. If you're building an HR app, you probably need to care about like employees and managers. Like a lot of the concepts for authorization are, are sort of deeply interwoven with the application, um, which kind of constrains, you know, how you can build and design the thing. Mm-hmm. But that's, um, yeah, that's kind of what we've been doing. Yeah, because uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know, like I built um, an open source uh, authentication framework called Authentic, mm-hmm. uh, and that was like completely punted on the authorization. And I think it's also interesting, maybe not everybody who's listening to this show uh, right now knows that authentication and authorization are separate. Uh, I think for a long time, people really kind of just, you know, couple them really hard together. But they, I feel pretty strongly that they shouldn't be. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Yes, I, 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 know, I, can I, guess. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it doesn't help that people often just say yeah. off and you're mm-hmm. like, um, and then people say author or author Z, which isn't that much more useful mm-hmm. either. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they there are they are absolutely overlapping. Um, so you know, there's authentication is you know who you are. So that's your username and password to get into the website. It's kind of like the front door, like, like passport, you know, your ID card. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, whereas authorization is like once you're in, like what are the things you can do? But you know, they do overlap a lot because what you're allowed to do obviously depends on like maybe who you mm-hmm. are, your relationship to data, the, you know, what your you know, job role is or, uh, you know, things like that. So, so they kind of are, are overlapping in that sense. But, um, I think the difference is authentication is often this like one-off process that happens as you say you know, on login. Like once you've kind of done that, there's not much left to mm-hmm. do authorization. It, it, something you're constantly going to be doing. It's like dynamically changing, you know, it's, if I share a document with you, I then change you from commenter to editor, right? This is all authorization mm-hmm. logic. That's like updating all the time. Yeah. And then that's kind of why it's so good to keep them, keep them separate. It's like, let that first part just be yeah. solved. I remember when I was, um, you know, much less experienced, I remember using some, you know, some package that, that handled, user accounts and stuff like that for me and i remember thinking like oh my god i could never create something like this this is like so advanced and and you know the the stakes are so high if something goes wrong how do you think about that like is this completely the area of people who are like ludicrously experienced and starting companies to solve it or is this something that even more junior developers should get into the habit of playing around with and learning about? 
Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. It's such a balance for me. It, on, on one hand, like, yes, it broadly, you know, generically speaking, I think everyone should shouldn't be scared of, of trying to get through these things and, and trying to get something working and just like learn what what's trying to happen. The other side of me though feels like a lot of the tooling or you know educational material around these are just so so bad that I I would feel a little bit guilty if I sent people off into oh Sam told me I need to go and lo- learn about OAuth so now I'm reading this like protocol spec mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. getting re- feeling bad about myself. It's in, in my ideal world, people would be able to be engaged with the like the outcomes that they get from you know implementing security. Like you know we spoke about authentication, but like what, you know what are common authorization systems? Like why why is it important that I protect access to data? And like what are the things I can enable if I do this well? Like what's the user experience? Like I wish I could you know people would just focus on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of why we're building the tool where we are, so that as a developer junior or senior you can you know engage with this error and what it means for your products without needing to get all the finer details right and 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 things like that um but i think the the whole space is a little way to go before that's like universally true for all these things mm-hmm. yeah because for me it's like so many so many developers are i assume learn by doing or you know mm-hmm. it's certainly how i am i hear this from from a lot of people and it's kind of interesting, right? If like authentication and authorization both have such high stakes, you know, is are those really learned by doing? And if they're not, what can people do to try and learn more about authorization if it is so important? So basically we're trying to address this at OSO. Um, we've currently been writing a series of guides uh, called Authorization Academy which is not specifically about OSO itself, but is just trying to make up for that gap in the information that's out there by writing up sort of everything we know about authorization from the moment a request like hits your network proxy, you know, all the way to your database and, um, you know, what an authorization model means, you know, what are these acronyms that get thrown around like RBAC and ABAC and, you know, try and just kind of demystify the area and just share all the things we've learned and seen that people have been confused around. Um, as I said, like, I think a lot of this information is currently kind of locked up into the world of like InfoSec, um, you love throwing around, you know, information security, I should probably not even abbreviate that, but you know, cause they, they love throwing around acronyms and it's, um, <laughs> it, it makes it very impenetrable. And so we're trying to like you know, bring those barriers down a little bit by sharing that information. That's cool. Do you, do you um, find that there's a, there is a wall between like the InfoSec community? Cause you, you referred to it as like InfoSec land. Like, is there a wall between like this, the InfoSec, like security community and you know, like the web dev community? I think there is a bit. And, and it's the culture is starting to change a lot. You see, you're starting to see more and more today, whether it's called something like DevSecOps or Shift Left is like some of the trendy enterprise words to call mm. it. Um, but just, just generally, like you, you kind of look around and see organizations where you start having people with titles like, I don't know, product security engineer and or you see talks by people who are, they speak a lot more about enabling developers about being a, like a helpful person as opposed to someone who like shouts and restricts them. Like <laughs> that culture is, no, but it's, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. you know, yeah. it used to be like, it used to be a lot more like this information security. There'd be a separate team, sometimes in a separate building. And they would just like, you know, reject your PRs because you didn't address some security thing, you know, the audit or the 
they'd done do the code audit and you'd get like the hundred errors to, to deal mm-hmm. with and, and they would be like two separate groups that that is starting to change bit by bit already um and but yeah i think we're just trying to help yeah, I, help accelerate that from some of the knowledge yeah as well. I, I can't help but think that there's some parallels too to to the rise of devops and sysadmins being separate from developers and a lot of that has started to blur uh and and now the way that you're talking about it it's almost like the same thing is happening in in security yeah i i, I think so i think it is it's kind of all been brought along together i think i think sort of by necessity as well like if you know, if if it is now the case where you know developer writes a piece of code, it goes through CI and it ends up in in production, then you you do kind of look for ways to make make people more engaged in like is this secure or not? Mm. Do you, yeah, yeah. What do you think about that as a a career? I mean, I guess you kind of possibly see Oso in that sector, but like in terms of when when I think about the future and thinking about okay. What parts of technology are really going to continue to be hugely in demand? I can't help but think that security is it's just going to continue to be like almost more and more important, right? Like the more software we write, the more important security becomes. Yeah, absolutely. Security is not and shouldn't go away in any in it by any means. So I, I think there's something like on average for every 100 developers at a company, a company they'll typically have maybe 10 people in ops and one lone security person, mm-hmm. uh, and you know that that security person will be doing potentially everything from uh, you know device management, making sure you know setting password policies, making sure that people are using two-factor authentication, to you know areas of say product security or you know corporate security, making sure people's you know, Gmail's haven't been hacked and phishing and, and on and on and on. So like that list is super, super long. Mm-hmm. And so you're absolutely right. Like the more that we're creating software, like the more that this is kind of going to need to be this like shared responsibility. Um, so I think that's where like both from like a cultural perspective and also from like a you know, tooling or software perspective, we'll, we'll start to address that more mm-hmm. and more. Yeah. If someone wanted to go down that career path, let's say someone's listening to this, they're still early in their career trying to figure out, you know, what they what they could explore, what directions they could head. Like, what would you say to that person? So I'm going to give two pieces of advice, one generic and one specifically about startups. So a lot of people who get into security is just because they kind of enjoy asking the question or poking holes in things like, well, what could go wrong? And, you know, the official term for this is like threat modeling, but it, it is just like a, it's just a mindset. It's like, well, what are the, you know, it's almost like testing a sense, mm-hmm. but it's like you, you, you know, maybe you look at, you have like an API method and you're like, well, okay, we're assuming that the user is, you know, giving us these inputs and they're correct, but what if they weren't? Like, what if they decide to do something different than we expected? Like, how could that have a weird impact or effect? Mm-hmm. It's just that kind of mindset of like, what could be bad about this? Um, you know, are we assuming that this piece of information can't be accessed by a user or not like i think just having that like healthy curiosity of like can i can i poke holes in things can i like understand what will happen if i do something unexpected i think that's kind of often the thing that leads people into getting into security so it's also cool that you bring this up because i've found um a, a theme with a lot of developers is that they have a really hard time when they're writing tests 
to create tests for the not happy path, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's almost like, okay, I've created this feature. Let me just pretend that it's used exactly perfectly the way that I imagined, write a test for that and done, pull request. And, you know, without fail, like that's not what happens in reality. It gets used in some weird way. And then there's a, a bug. And then, you know, it's like surprise Pikachu face and, then, <laughs> you know, and then it's like, OK, well, now write the test for the thing that happened. And I don't know, maybe be a little bit more creative and think of like another weird way and, and write that test so that we know it's covered. And I would really encourage this, you know, even if you don't go full bore into security or threat modeling or something like that, I think any developer could adopt this mindset of thinking a little bit more broadly about how things are used, how they could be used weirdly, and really trying to think down those other paths of, you know, not success and not being used the way that you expected. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I think from like a from a security specific standpoint, you know, there's there's some really great materials out there around things called uh, capture the flags or CTFs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some things called the Matasano Crypto Challenges, which are kind of like some practical guided um, kind of like little quizzes, little challenges that guide you through some of this like mindset around like, how could I break some cryptography? And it kind of gets you programming it bit by bit by bit, which just kind of starts giving you that mindset of like, oh, I see like, you know, maybe if you change that piece of the information, then dot, dot, dot happens. Um, oh those, man, those, those, are so, those are so fun. I did the Stripe had a capture the flag thing that I did two different years. I'm sure they, they still do it, I assume. But yeah, I've got the two t-shirts from it. And nice. I am like really not like a security type of person. I I always say I, I'm much more the person who wants to build the sandcastle rather than like take it down, <laughs> uh, which is being unfair to the, the security you know world. But I always see myself much more as like a builder rather than trying to like poke holes in things. But being exposed to those challenges was so fun. Like it's such a cool mindset. And so I'd, I'd like I completely echo what you're saying. I think that's a really fun way of of getting into that that headspace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's the second thing, the second one I want to bring up, which is more of like a sort of a little bit more startup specific. Um, but say if you do find yourself at a, you know, somewhat early stage startup, you know, before a startup reaches, you know, 30, 40, 50 people, they're probably not going to have anyone dedicated in security, um, especially going by the ratios I just gave earlier. But one thing startups do love is someone who just finds something that's missing and goes and addresses it. So mm-hmm. if, if you wanted to sort of get into security, but you're worried you don't have experience, then maybe find, you can maybe find an early stage startup in a security sensitive space, you know, healthcare or something, and just start asking questions or finding what needs to be done, doing a bit of, you know, searching around and seeing what are like best practices for companies and could just, you know, become that person who just starts taking care of it. Um, yeah, you're bringing, okay, so you're, you're bringing up a, a really important concept, which which um, you're talking about, like asking questions and finding out what needs to be done, finding out what's, what's missing. I think, you know, maybe more uh, in more generic terms, that could be like being proactive. What do you like seeing, right? So now you've got you've got a team. I'm sure you know you deal you've dealt with a lot of developers in your career. Like, what do you really like to see? Like, like if you I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out which way to like ask this question. It's kind of like, okay, let's pretend that like magically you're not the CTO anymore. You've just joined a team at a startup. Like, how do you describe what you would be doing 
to be proactive? How would you think about asking questions? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think asking why a lot, you can maybe feel like a, a small toddler, like why, 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 but can can be incredibly valuable. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I mean, are, is, there, is there danger of like someone killing you though? Or like, yeah, I, is, are you going to annoy someone or no? Speaking personally, no. Like, okay. you can never you can never ask too many questions. You can never be too thoughtful about something. Like, it's on the other person at a certain point to tell you we don't need to answer that question where we are right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it can sometimes be a little bit of a. It can maybe feel a little bit paralyzing if there's like so many unanswered questions that you're not kind of sure where to begin. Like, that that is a lot of what being being a startup's about. So, you know, asking asking questions, understanding why things are, and then sort of being willing to try and help any of the unanswered ones that are, that you find are like, yeah, I'm not very satisfied by that answer. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's a security thing. Like, hey, why are we not doing two-factor on our accounts? Oh, I don't know. We don't have time for it. Like, I should probably look into that. You know, it's that, mm-hmm. it's that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, you know, if someone's got a really good answer, like, oh, you know, best practice says that we shouldn't do this until we reach blah employees mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you know maybe that's the time to accept that someone knows what they're doing but um i think you could find a lot a, a lot of us a lot of questions why in a startup probably is because we no one has got around startup. to that because we're a startup <laughs> and no one's got around to that <laughs> yeah yeah that's good i mean there's also like prioritization right like mm-hmm. like like i feel like in a startup would you let's just say you know you had an engineer that like really is like oh man we totally need to factor is there some way that they can know like I'm trying to figure out how to put this like i can imagine you know a like, manager is that a good use of time or, or not or... yeah like or like some senior engineer that like kind of you know look is sort of like hey i need you to you know add the login or whatever like you know implement this thing and then they turn around and go back to what they were doing and then you know a day later they come back and then all of a sudden like that developer is lost like trying to figure out two factor and all this like really you know the complete solution um and they might get i don't know i don't know if annoyed is the right word but it's like come on i just asked you to do the simple thing you can do the complicated thing later like is is there a way of like describing this situation and and how a developer can kind of balance the um like how off the deep end to go or like how how much down these like rabbit holes to to follow yeah that is that is like a fantastic question slash observation it's Okay, so so what it kind of comes down to is sort of looking at the looking at the times, you know, time frame in front of you. Um, you know, what are the kind of expectations, or what are the what are the demands of the company, or the stage we're at? Like, how long are we sort of expecting to spend on this? You know, mm-hmm. maybe they say like, oh, you can probably, you know, I think you could probably get that done in, you know, you know, five days. You know, maybe, maybe by the end of next week, I think you'll probably get that one done. Mm. Um, and you start looking into this, and you're like you're kind of coming up with these questions and like there's you, you maybe feel yourself getting dragged into some like rabbit holes where you're, <laughs> as I said, you, you find yourself in the OAuth 2 spec and you're trying to work out what are the <laughs> six different auth flows you should be considering. Um, I think anytime you start like feeling out of your depth, that's a great time to sort of summarize your findings and bring them back to someone and be like, like, I would, I would just, I would love someone to come back to me just with this question. Like, okay, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I made a start and I felt myself like going down, going down these holes with this old thing. Um, 
like, you know, could you help me out here? I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting a bit lost and stuff. I'd be like, oh yeah, sorry, you're completely <laughs> right. Like uh, what I meant is just go and buy that product because you know, let's just go and use that product and like, let's not worry about this. Like, um, yeah, but it's, it's good that you know this for later. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, yeah, I, you know, are on the side, I think of, of communication always. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's something I'm personally learning as a, as like a leader is the other person always has less context or, or information yeah. than you assume. Like, and this, this will goes both ways. Like I'm, you know, I, I was, I was in these, these shoes before where like, you know, I maybe thought my manager knew what I was up to, or like they kind of, you know, they gave me very specific instructions and like, I felt like that, you know, that, that they understood like the implications of them. And then maybe I'd go back to them in a few days and ask them a question and it'd be completely turned upside down. What I, what I thought they knew or something like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, I could just come to them like, you know, two days ago and it would be fine. Yeah. Um, people always, yeah, I think people often underestimate like how much context other people have. So if in doubt communicate. Yeah, I think I think keeping people in the loop and like especially like if you can keep someone in the loop without really blocking yourself waiting on a response. I think that's something to avoid is is like while you're doing this research, like make sure that you can continue but like keep them up to date, but don't don't be like, "All right, and I'm completely stuck until you like stop what <laughs> you're doing and respond to me." I think that's one of the things but the, the uh, you kind of like mentioned two things that I thought were were really important. And so one of them was that time boxing. So try never, in my opinion, try to never have like an open-ended task. Like, I, I don't really believe in, in deadlines. I think a lot of deadlines are fake. I think oftentimes management will use them uh, irresponsibly just to, like, force people to, like, I don't know, work harder or something like that. And I don't I don't particularly agree with that. But I do think that they're important so that you do... You don't provide $100 solutions to $5 problems or vice versa. Um, I think it's good for uh, aligning the uh, effort with the scale of the problem. And so I really liked what you said, where if you're if you're going to go off and do something, get a good sense of approximately that time boxing, like how much time you should really allocate it to it so that you know that if in the middle you can see, oh, wait, this is like a long road ahead of me you can like pause and think and then do the the second thing that i really like that that you brought up is that if you return to you know your you know the team your senior you know your your manager or a senior engineer tech lead whoever it is and you can say like okay so i went off to go do this and this is what i found and we effectively have three approaches and let me summarize the advantages and disadvantages of each and what I think we should do. And you can tell me if I made any like horrible assumptions and, you know, I like need to backpedal. And I think that's usually pretty comfortable for, for a tech lead or someone to kind of look at the research that you've done and get to do kind of like a checksum of like your thinking and sort of figure out what, what assumptions and, and, you know, uh, sort of foundations you're basing your thinking off of. And I think it really can help them kind of say like, yep, you're totally right. Just keep going doing that. Or, oh, wait, there's this context that I forgot to give you. Really sorry about that. Uh, like you said, uh, just buy this product and worry about that stuff later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you hit on some, you hit on some really, really important things there as well. Like the hundred dollar solution, $5 problem thing. Like, and you're right. Like deadlines are to a certain extent arbitrary. Uh, oftentimes it is just communicating. Here is what 
I think would be both like an, an appropriate amount of time for us to spend on this. Like it's kind of a rough value of value judgment of how important the problem is. Um, you know, plus like an estimation of how long it would take if, you know, the results of this could be, there's so many different results to this that come back. It could be, you know, I think we could avoid spending any time on this and I'm going to be like overjoyed. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. Or it could be, you know, you know, within this time frame, I could probably do a pretty bad job, but, um, you know, I think You're I cut these corners and make forever. it work, <laughs> you know, or we could do this. I think this would be really, really awesome, but it will take like this much time. And mm-hmm. then, um, and, you know, and that's where I get to, you know, then make, as you said, that sort of value judgment of like, okay, do the, do the checksum. Is there maybe some assumption that was missed there, but, mm-hmm. um, like coming back with those kind of options and that sort of like implication is going to make any like manager so, so happy. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, I think, I, you know, when we were talking at JSLA, I, <laughs> I kind of mentioned that if I had if I had a junior dev that I tasked with, uh, you know, implementing like an authorization system and they went off and wrote their own programming language, I'd probably kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Um, all right. So, uh, Sam, this has been so much fun. Where can people find out more about you online? Maybe learn about uh, a programming language you built to handle authorization. Yeah, absolutely. So our main website is osohq.com. Uh, that's where you can find everything about the about the company. You can find links to our uh, the docs for our open source projects. I mean, that'll be docs.osohq.com. Uh, you can find links there to our GitHub with all the source codes. Um, authorization academy that i mentioned is all available through the website as well um so that's probably the best bet to go and find all of the links to everything about us cool i will put that in the show notes uh thank you so much for joining me it's been my pleasure all right folks that's it for today i'm david gutman and i hope you join me again next time for junior to senior remote work is here to stay I can show you how to find and hire a full team of remote senior engineers for a quarter of what you'd pay at local rates. To learn more, check out superstruct.tech slash four phase. That's F-O-U-R dash P-H-A-S-E.